0: Welcome to Pharma Launch Secrets, a podcast by EverMed. We host direct, actionable conversations with world leading pharma launch experts that will help you launch your next product or indication successfully. Now, here's your host, Bozidar Jovicevic.
1: And welcome to the new episode of Pharma Launch Secrets. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Gaurav Kapoor, co-founder of Indigen, a digital-first life sciences commercialization company with a very interesting and unique founding story. Gaurav has 23 years of experience in technology-led healthcare solutions, and he continues to lead Indigen as executive vice president, focused on commercialization efforts and adopting the mindset of it's day one, despite being, you know, 23 year old company. So welcome Gra. Thank you. Thank you, Bozdar. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh Thanks for inviting me. All right. So uh, I recently learned a little bit more about uh, your co-founding story. The company started late, uh, late nineties and uh, multiple co-founders. So can you tell us a little bit how the company came about, like high level, the founding story and looking back, what you wish you had known when you first started, very interesting.
0: So you're taking me back uh, 23 years. Uh, so uh, obviously we were all, you know, we were five founders, you know, who got together, and I know, at that time of the whole, we had spent a bit of time. I had spent a year in the pharma pharma side, and I know started to look at that they were of uh, were areas where we could make an impact. As a, and we were young, we were that time 28 year old, and said, you know, why don't we get out and really start reimagining the industry using data technology medical which expertise we brought together and thought we will create a differentiated company and we all sat together But the interesting part was that when we were going for our first you know funding round we you know we all thought that we can pretty much build a very interesting data led digital first company connecting the dots between life sciences payers and providers and all of us said, I think we should be able to do it in three years or four years. And one of our, know, one of one of our founders was a little more pessimistic and said, No, no, don't be so optimistic. Make it five years. And we said, Okay, we'll integrate the whole thing and you know, all these silos and make it five years. And you know what? It's twenty-three years. We are right now. I'm right here in front of you, and I keep telling that you know, I'm still at it. And, uh, no, so that's, if I knew that you were asking, right? If I knew that pharma, you know, obviously it's not easy, but as our young entrepreneurs, you think you can change the world in a day. And that, you know, maybe ignorance, uh, helped us to come here, you know, uh, reach here. So we pretty much started with that dream of integrating the healthcare. And then, you know, in fact, I you know, I you know, you know, then we, la- we pretty much, you know, uh, you know, now laugh and say, before retiring at least i'll see if i can make sure that the world operates the way we had thought in uh, 2000 but the the interesting part is that we were interesting or the you know area where we, we again you know, look back and say we were ahead of the curve in many many things one of the areas was that in 2007 i fast forward and we were in 2007 i was in zurich in one of the ifa pharma conferences presenting a digital first launch and we present it to the you know group of maybe 250 people, and uh, we come you know I come down, nobody comes and even talks to me about you know know uh, relates with that story that you do a digital first in 2007 because it was such a rep-driven, very traditional industry, and at the lunchtime, two of the two of the top five. Consulting companies come in and talk to me and say, Hey, what you guys thought was very interesting. You think that's a possibility? And I said, absolutely. It's a possibility. He said, no, I want you to write guys, write a white paper on it because the industry is far behind what you guys are thinking. And was that, and we kept pushing that. And in 2011, I met a person, a managing director in of Asia pack in, uh, in Singapore. And that person believed in our story. And in 2011, 12, we actually launched the first cardiovascular brand in, seven, in 11, 12 markets using a hybrid digital first model. Now, so, very few people at that time came forward and took that leap of faith to actually really believe in that it could be a digital first world. And we said, at that time, we were talking about, and the way we were building the whole uh, the campaign and the whole HCP engagement plan, we were saying it has to be education led. What you're doing today, I know, I know, and you've been doing it for many years. We, we, in we were same, uh, same class. We were saying it has to be education-led. It has to be practice-led. The HCP will not listen to you if it is promotion-heavy. And we went ahead with that, and we saw seven of the eleven markets really successfully adopting a digital-first, education-led launch in the market. So. That gave us a lot of confidence that the industry would. We stay focused on it. We try to push and we will see that uh, we can make the change. We did some acquisitions post that, which were helping us to become more digital first. We picked up a CRM company. We picked up a CLM company. And from 2014-15 is where we started to really see the changes uh, 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 in the market from becoming tactical brand plan kind of discussions around digital, it actually got into the boardrooms, where boardrooms started to discuss how digital can transform uh, you know, the whole uh, can, uh, their business. And that's the place where we started to put not only on the commercial side, but started to put our early inroads into you know, how we can drive digital in medical affairs, we can start bring digital in regulatory and R&D. So we started to look at in 2015, 16 is where all, all of us started to, you know, as a company started to reimagine the pharma industry 2030 and said 2030, what could be the three big challenges for the industry? How do we, how do we kind of make a digital first sales and marketing model, which is less rep, a good omni channel model? We today industry pretty much lives with 28 to 35% as cost of sales plus marketing and medical. Can we make that, you know, pretty substantially lower? Second area was how uh, how the uh, health industry become more compliant. We thought, why can't we looked at some figures and we saw that because of because of the way pharma is traditional, it's it's difficult to keep up with the uh, compliance uh, regimens across the world. So we went in and say, why can't pharma become hundred percent compliant on time to do that? And third, we looked at the data and data showed us that it takes. $2 $2 billion for, you know, with failure rates included to commercialize a product, you know, and to bring a product into the market. And we said, this is too expensive. If you have to democratize innovation, if you have to democratize, bring more assets into the market for patient centricity, you should be able to bring in a drug, which, you know, at less than half, less than a billion dollars in terms of total spend and, you know, 40, 50% faster because a lot of time is spent between the clinical trials recruiting and so on so you know our 15 16 set it, set out our vision for next 10 15 years uh, uh, was where we started to reimagine these three business three area business points and kind of started to you know put you know, skin in the game and put you know, execution on ground so today we where we are we are pretty much looking at a digital first pharma full commercialization model from r&d to clinical, to, you know, to the commercialization uh, space. And COVID, COVID has just been a blessing, you know, what, you know, you and me couldn't do it with the com- companies telling them go digital, COVID has pushed them to, you know, uh, to
1: do more. No, thank you. Thank you very much for taking us to kind of a journey through time and all the macro trends that affect how pharma commercialize in your role. Uh, There's like a you know, uh, probably 30 questions I would have about all that. But just to comment on a few things. First of all, when you said, when you're talking about, you know, early days, you know, all the statistics of startups, you know, a logical person wouldn't make a decision to create a startup because like 90% of them fail in the first five years just to start with. And then in software, it's even higher, for example. So (laughs) that's one thing. The other one is, you know, start with, uh, maybe we'll sell a company. But actually, you know, a lot of the most successful companies are the ones that actually continue to be around, like we think of Amazon, This, like you guys, like 23 years, so you got the company from those five enthusiastic folks in the late 20s to to now, you know, thousands of people uh, working together and working globally across multiple areas, commercial, market access, pricing, things like that and development. So it's truly remarkable. And I'm sure there are many, 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 many interesting stories from all that, which I definitely will ask you at uh, some time. Interesting, another comment is, uh, someone told me many years ago, like everything you think will take a year, it will take five years in healthcare. And I must say, <laughs> that's pretty much true. And I think that COVID accelerated a few things by five to 10 years in many areas. And so a lot of this technology, and you're talking about 2030. Will be probably quite a different world. And now these days we see also GPT and you know passing USMLE exam for medical school, which is like wow. <laughs> so it's a lot of things unbelievable, right? Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. So, so it it seems like it's it's just getting really exciting <laughs> when it comes to digital and pharma, right? So, with that in mind, like how has uh, I know you 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 spend a lot of time on uh, commercial so efforts on pharma, and you lead also a part focused on commercialization at Indigen. So how has commercialization truly changed over the past two, three years? And you mentioned COVID. What do you think will be very different over the next two, three years for anyone launching a product?
0: Very, very, very good question. And, uh, and I'm just coming out of, uh, you know, I'm sure if you were there at the JPM, you would have seen you know, at the JPM this time, the tone from all the top 25, 30 pharma was very different. It was only focused on pipeline and launches. And if you know what sense I got between 2023 and 2030, between the top 20 companies, it looks like there are 100 to 110 launches. There are going to be across nine, nine to ten therapeutic areas. All the launches which will, uh, which will happen, are pretty much more or less in the complex disease areas to do. And if you look at the past record of the industry, last five, seven years. I think 60 to 65% of the com- companies haven't met their forecast or the w- in the first two, three years of their launches, right? So, you know, uh, companies know that their old traditional model of launches haven't worked. And now they're looking at huge amount of launches So coming out of that whole negative seven, eight years where it was patent cliff. There was all kinds of, you know, uh, efficiencies being driven. Pharma is coming out of COVID really positive. They've invested the money, which you know uh, know uh really well. They've picked up the right assets, they've invested in the right r And d And we think that Pharma next 10 years will be really exciting. But they have to get their things right. And as partners to them in the industry, we feel we have to use day digital and technology in a very different way to get them to succeed. Because today we know the our consumers, our and our uh, our HCPs both are Hugely influenced by what they see on Netflix, Amazon, right? They look at they they are being served content very differently. The customer experience way being given at their you no know, on that side is being differently. The way you no, know, uh, so the, we think the way the world will it will now move truly towards omni-channel launches. We will see the we we will see global launches using much more digital. In a more strategic way, you know, across patients and HCPs, uh, to you know, drive uh, drive results. So the fundamental way, the way we used to do a reach and frequency model, will will still remain. I'm not saying this reach and frequency will still remain, but reach and frequency will be using omni channel, and also reach and frequency will be lot dictated by on demand because our customer is on asking for on demand experiences versus prime time nine o'clock. Eight o'clock kind of uh, experience. They uh, were uh You may you know you want to show them seven parts serial in seven weeks. They want to sh- see it and binge watching and finish it in a day, right? So uh, that's the same consumer we uh, know. Uh, we were talking to a customer. We're talking here in the pharma world, and then that person may like to know about the product, the MOA, the KOL speaking it, with the clinical paper, everything, uh, pretty much in one day. So I think the launches will be in next two to three years very exciting. People will go towards a digital uh, you know, way for patients and and you know, uh, and HCPs, and you know there has to be a full infrastructure available from companies you know, you know who help you know, for, you know these you know uh, these drugs to be launched to be you know providing that omni-channel infrastructure. If the companies do not provide the you know, omni-channel infrastructure, we we will fail. We will not be able to get to our customers, convince them. So we will not have a sh- same shortest path to prescription or shortest path to uptake. And you know, uh, and it's it's a lot. It's not only a loss for the company; it's a loss for the uh, patients because patients won't get the right disease uh, nor right, right treatment at the right time. If we don't do that, uh, launches are uh, both that correctly. So I think I, I, it's going to be interesting next three four years from a launch perspective.
1: Yeah, just to uh, make a couple of comments. As uh, so powerful what you're saying, I had a, a guest from a ZS Associates recently, and and he was he was saying he felt very strongly about it that that um, a lot of the launches in the future will be uh, more launches, smaller peak uh, peak revenues. Right, so that we don't go to this era of Humira and Keytruda. I know there will be you know 500 to $1 billion dollar peak revenue launches, but in a lot of diseases they don't have enough products and many more launches because of new molecular targets, and you know faster, cheaper time to market for development. And then it's like okay, given that you know 60% plus failure rate in launches, and it's digital first. When you put all these things together, it can be quite overwhelming. For, for farmer folks who are thinking of planning launches and thinking all the skills that they need to have, all the infrastructure, uh, that they need to have. Another comment I just wanted to make. It's interesting. You mentioned the kind of binging, we call it binging experience where, you know, Netflix has changed, uh, and we'll talk about it more, but Netflix has changed the way we, we, uh, consume content because it used to be like, oh, uh, you know, we have episode one and then we wait and episode two. And then they came up with this idea that they actually want to release the full season. Right. The same way that Apple has changed it. So we buy a song, not an album. Right now we kind of, we want to binge the whole thing. And now we binge the whole thing. So it's like, really, how can we adjust? Because those same doctors are actually going through those same experiences with Netflix. So the the behavior is already there for on demand content. And how, how can they binge? two or three minutes on efficacy for the new indication and two or three minutes of safety and two or three minutes of patient case and an MOA together in total of 12 minutes, which is not that much, right? If it's relevant, timely, from a top KOL, things like that. So 100%
0: <laughs> agree. And, and, and personalization, right? I want to see yep. a thriller and I don't want to see a rom-com personalization. So this is personalized. Yeah. This is how it will get delivered. This is the way, you know, and doctors are saying similar things. similar consumers right in yeah. the evening in the evening they're watching tv with their kids and they're seeing netflix and that's the same experience they want uh, you know from a brand manager from a pharma guy and pharma pharma if it's disconnected from this world it's going to lose the customer it's going to it's not they are expecting same personalized customer experience
1: yes 100% personalization is becoming uh, i read somewhere in the report recently an expectation because of what you said. The same doctors are watching Netflix, using Spotify, using YouTube. So it becomes table stakes. It's not like that's an advance. Okay. And then we recently looked our team at uh, multiple pharma websites, and we couldn't find. We struggled to find a single example of personalization. When doctor is there on the website, it's always look the same. You know, there are some teams that we see are trying to do something with that. Uh, But most of the personalization is like, you know, having a rep who would personalize the approach or an email that will personalize the approach. So there's a lot to be done to get to that Netflix-like future. Now, omnichannel, like huge word and uh, omnichannel activation more specifically. I wanted to ask you, first of all, how do you define omnichannel? But then also, where do you think pharma stands today when it comes to omnichannel? You mentioned omnichannel infrastructure as well. And where do you think is the gap towards where it can be? And I'm asking this because it seems like everyone is bought into the idea. Recently, I read that 94% of executives in pharma think like channel is the future. But, but but at the same time, we see struggles like pr- producing content is a struggle, right? So how do you have omni-channel if you don't have content? I and mean, if the content stays, mostly, you know, visual aids and bread and butter, which is, of course, needed. But what about the things that will differentiate? So where is this pharma today in your view uh, from unique point of view working with many companies when it comes to omnichannel including infrastructure and where it can be that would be
0: really good to a little bit dig into that that's a loaded question, uh, pretty it's a loaded question. We I'll, yeah <laughs> i take my stab at it and i uh, know see according to me omni channel omni channel is nothing but a new way of marketing right it's a new way the new way you want to reach your customer and your customers across channels across different moments of truth and you want to observe them the right content at the right place where they go and it has to be all interconnected it has to talk to each other so you know and the true omni channel is where each of the the thread is connected and there there in a, there's an information exchange and informa- and it is based on what the doctor wants to so uh, now the industry where it has the industry has moved from single channel, which was rep, then obviously the conferences and others, you know, uh, no, few traditional channels to becoming multiple channels. From multiple channels, which they started to bring in, somebody brought them, and which is an area which I continuously debate, somebody brought in the word called next Nextvex Action. Now, for Vex Action and multiple channels, pretty much kind of is the way industry has been working. But that's not the way consumer works. Consumer, consumer is very uh, the HCP is very different from that uh, uh, next next action and multiple channels. The customer is today maybe on a website, maybe on four other channels, on phone, multiple places in next one hour. It's multiple next specs actions. It's basically a series of actions which you go to plan. So you in a true omni channel, you got to be everywhere to make sure that you're able to match the will of all the volume and the velocity of content which the which the consumer is uh, consumer uh, is a, is expecting it's a uh, has you uh, know uh, not been possible i think uh, the entertainment industry e-commerce travel some of these industries have already done that so we are i think the pharma Pharma is not trying to create something new, but we have to learn from the others because it's been really, really well, well done in some of the other industries. And I would say some of these are, you know, eight out of 10 or nine out of 10. And if I look at pharma, I would be slightly more, you know, harsh on our industry because you know, I know I wanted to perform. I would say that we are right now maybe four of four not even five we're not at fifty percent of our de- delivering what the real customer experience can be for the for the customers so we would be you know was, uh, right now at four or maximum four and a half. There's a long way to go for us to bring in. Yes, we are a regulated industry to give the same volume and velocity of content. We have to develop content based on different customer archetypes, and that could be a challenge at times for our brand managers. Our MLR run medical legal approval process is not so easy. We are run-on. We are a responsible industry. We want to make sure that the claims we make have to be clear, so we have to do that. But how do we use technology to say, take one? Core message and really deliver it. You now deliver it very well across the channels. Pretty much that's possible using now today modern, modern modular content kind of methodologies, modern tagging methodologies, modern MLR technology methodologies. We, when we picked up one of our clients, we you know that we do also medical legal review process, right? We run centers of excellence. One of our clients three years back was going on the digital path. On an email, they used to take 86 days to get one email approved. So, if you want to take 86 days to do a one email approval, how will you get to a a digital path with on-demand on-demand content? So, we started to deploy medical legal approval tech and our technology automation and so on, and we're down to 30 days. We're still not down to a pretty much fast, but that's a journey. Pharma has to live multiple tracks. How do we fast track the content supply chain? How do we fast track the data supply chain, and then then the whole publishing, taking it to serving it to the channels like yours, right? And t- taking it uh, to your channels and nano you know, based on that and making it more personalized. So I would say there's a there's a long way to go. We are four out of four, four and a half out of ten, but yes, we you know I think industries realized it that we want to go there and i i am very very confident the the leadership which is there now in the top 20 25 pharma pretty much believes you know that omni channel is the way to live right you know whether you make it around the reps or you make rep one of the channels whichever way you know you either augment the reps or you you know make rep as one of the channels it doesn't matter but you know people will move towards omni channel and you know and uh, hopefully as we discussed, right, when I say one year, it's taken 20, you were saying it's five. So I'm saying maybe, maybe you will see another, maybe 2025, 26, another three years, we will see a, a reimagined uh, no, uh, omni-channel world. Omni-channel world. Yeah,
1: it's interesting, by the way, that you mentioned um, whether you do it, you build it around the rep and amplify and augment the rep. We start there because industry is, for the practical reasons, maybe, because industry is like so you know, still that's like the core channel. And so when you say, well, let's amplify the rep and maybe there will be content that is sent before and after the rep visit that is actually personalized and linked to the conversation or anything that we know about these doctor. So one way to start like that and one way to make it rep on the channels. Do you have any view on that? What's a more practical
0: or more powerful way to do it? Yeah, very, very, yeah. And I know there is a lot of data with us now I know based on... Uh, millions of interactions, which we are you uh, know, gathering ourselves from our campaigns. So if you look at, there is a fairly large data which is showing for us that there's close to 60% plus doctors, which are saying that don't lead with rep as the first channel. You can have rep as a channel, but not required that you should have a rep as a channel. 40% of doctors, so 60% are looking for rep plus channels. There are 40% of the doctors in different categories, and this 40% actually bubbles up to a fairly large. If you go to some of the oncology, neurology, ophthalmology, some of the super specialty areas, in fact, 40 becomes you know, more than 50, where doctors are saying, I may not require a rep, face-to-face rep, as a channel to interact with me. A digital plus an MSL, we did a fairly interesting research last year and then validated with some of our uh, attribution data that you can actually do digital plus MSL in some of the uh, therapy areas as a channel mix uh, to do. So where I'm going is that uh, there will be a set of doctors when you do High, medium, and low digital affinity of profiling of doctors, and in US we've actually profiled 1.7 million physicians fairly accurately. We're using these high, medium, and low affinity models. If it's a high digital affinity person and does not prefer rep as the first three channels of preference and of uh, consumption, then why would you unnecessarily load? The, uh, the doctor with the rep as a channel. So you could go pure digital, uh, no uh, omni-channel without the rep. You could go pure digital, non-personal channels using uh, for that cohort of doctors. And for the other doctors where rep is a preferred channel, it, in the top three, you make a rep plus other channels. So as we move forward, we're starting to carve out and slice out doctors saying, high digital affinity, which are with rep not being nominated as the first channel in the top three channels, no need to create a channel mix and lead with them with more educational, personalized content using you know, using digital. And more and more we will see as the comfort develops with the customer and with our clients, we would see that these 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 will start becoming real. When you do segmentation and targeting and when you start deploying your channels on ground, you will start taking these you know, scientific calls. Rep there is a you no know, absolutely you know, clear conviction that rep is a very effective channel. Rep, in our attribution, still is number one in terms of uh you know, impact, but rep is also a very inefficient and inexpensive channel, right? Post-COVID, we're looking at that you the, the data which is showing that pretty much the the, no a touch point, if you look at our in US, pretty much a loaded rep is around 270 to 300 K based on the calls they do. It's coming out that easily it's around 200 to $400 a call. If that's the value of the touch point, then you can use the touch point where it really makes an impact. If Dr. Gaurav Kapoor wants to see the rep, go and show him the rep six times in a year, 12 times in a year. If Dr. Bozidar does not want to see the rep, why waste the channel? Why waste three hundred dollars into six? Why waste two thousand dollars and use that to maybe give him Dr. Bozidar the best American cardiology content, best content on in his therapy area, and you kind of you uh, know, help him. So use use very smart, personalized methodologies, scientific algorithms, and all that data is today available to make that change and make that scientific uh, call today.
1: Yeah, that is extremely powerful. Now, thanks for sharing those stats and, and and a framework for thinking, right? Based on your, I know you have your own proprietary digital affinity framework. And and I think a lot of these things are is, is we experienced as consumers. I mean, there are certain things that when we buy, some of us like the high touch. They want to connect. They want to talk to a person. Some of us are just like efficiency. They're like, no, no, no. I just want this, 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 and that pragmatic. I don't need to talk to anyone. That's it. Like I have my own sources. And I will use like a product X, but I don't need to talk to anyone. <laughs> so I think it's, 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 we, we do this as consumers and just understanding that there is no need to throw $300, $400 per, you know, one minute visit or, you know, organizing breakfast or lunch rep or, you know, uh, that you can actually do it in a much more intelligent and informed way
0: since there is already data. And we see it all the time in our lives. I'm just distracting and saying, my son doesn't want to go to an Apple store, does everything online and just goes to pickup. And I'm the guy yeah. who wants to Apple store, touch and feel, talk to them, get go. that physical and then believe in that product and pick it up. And he says, are you crazy? Why are you doing it? I just do online, just go and pick up at uh, no, the yeah. Quaker Bridge Mall. And I'm saying, no, uh, I want to go and meet them. And I, I do the reverse with my wife saying grocery shopping. I can do it on Instacart. I can do it everything for you. Why don't you just do a, a curbside pickup? And my wife says, no, I want to go there i want to do so at home we see different personalities and that's exactly the same way maybe a younger doctor a younger oncologist is behaving or uh, no uh, uh, the way some of the other the new generation which is coming in is behaving and uh, we just respect them and and serve just uh, serve the so the way they want 100% i'm the same by
1: the way for instacart and uh, <laughs> my partner i like she loves to go to Whole Foods because she likes experience. So I'm like, okay. That's <laughs> like, and I'm like, click, click, click. I don't want to go to any Whole Foods. So, I mean, we see it. We see people buying cars online without going to the car dealership, right? And, but most people still want to go to the car dealership, but towards the end of their journey, to your point from the beginning, you say education led content. So they got themselves educated on different car models. They looked at the test, went to YouTube, went to the first party website producer. And then in the end, they have Discount questions, technical questions, color questions, okay. things like that. And then they would talk to a reps. It's almost like journey is 80 90% on-demand, content, convenient,
0: personalized, 10%. I we do want to talk to a person. Beautifully, you unbundled the journey. And same way, we should do the unbundling of the journey and saying from awareness to final closure of the you know, uh, brand prescription, what process you could do just by you know some of the other channels and at what time you need a uh, personalized connect. And those are things. If you unbundle the journeys, you can do, and that's the you know how you the old model of traditional selling will da- will tr- transition to a new way of selling.
1: Yeah, it's powerful. I feel like we could talk about this uh, this for hours, and it, I think we will have another episode. We, sure, yeah, we should have more details in, talk, for- in all this. Uh, one thing I'll ask you is content. So. There is no Omnichannel really without content and being able to do this education without the content. Pharma traditionally struggles to produce content. There is MLR, there is cost. Like, do you think that pharma will be able to significantly move the needle over the past three years? And what do you think very high level has to happen in order for them to get there? So
0: we as indigenes are firm believers that pharma doesn't sell a pill, it sells content. Because a pill means nothing to a doctor till, till actually there is content, right? What you buying, what you prescribing is basically content. I don't believe without the content, pharma will have any role because pharma from R and D, when it's going to their agencies, whether are for, for the clinical trials, then they go for submission. Then we get the good doctors, patients. It's all content. So I, we believe content is the only way to, you know, uh, deliver or you know, to be successful. And if if pharma does not solve it, it will be a huge problem. It's a huge problem for patients because doctors will not get the best, will not understand the best drugs on time, and they will not deliver the therapy, uh, nor prescribe the right therapy. So we are all for content. We want to make sure that, and content, if you look at our latest data, 62% of the doctors told that we are getting overwhelmed by the promotional content we want unbranded content which helps us to understand the therapy better the class better the drug better get our peers to talk to you, uh, talk to us and do that so we believe there has to be a right balance between a promotional content and a, not, uh, unbranded content and unbranded for the most of the specialty areas where the dr- next what i was talking till 2030 100 launches will happen it has to be really smart you no know, uh, practice enhancement content educational content coming in and that's why we are the piece you know at some point of the time we'll talk to you we see emergence of medical affairs medical affairs from becoming just signatories to actually becoming front runners actually medical affairs will play a huge role because these the drugs we need solid content versus yes you've got to creatively package it but this is, it has to be a uh, real science which has to be marketed you uh, know to these uh, uh, doctors so I don't know whether I answered, or that, but I am a big fan of that pharma should just focus on content, velocity and volume of content, solve that content supply chain problem. You're done.
1: Yeah. Huge thing. We agree with that. We, we call it also like we say digital first future.
0: Everyone agrees on that. I say content first future to put the layer. There extra. is, there is, according to me, there is no channel without the content. Same email, same video can have a uh, channel can be a failure. If the content is not right, the same email can have a 25% open rate if the headline is correct and the body is correct. If the same the same channel can be actually 0% open rate if you put a stupid headline and you put the g- garbage content. So every channel without content is not a channel. It's actually content driving the channel. So uh, I don't see content and channel separately. Yeah. I look at them as one in, uh, interwoven, one single unit. Yeah. And I love what you said
1: also, you know, uh, you know, non-branded versus branded, educational versus promotional. It has to be there. That's just like normal. And anyway, so I know we're a little bit uh, out of time. I want to ask just a few brief questions about yourself so people get to know you better. And I'm sure we'll continue this conversation and talk about those differences between different markets globally and all kinds of things. But first of all, what do you believe will be the industry buzzword of 2023? Omnichannel. All right, that's linked to this
0: conversation. What's the best book that had impact on you over the past year or two? Yeah, I read a book called uh, Last Year, a know, uh, everybody must have read. Uh, this is uh, Crossing the Chasm, The Crossing the Chasm. Uh, no, oh, yeah. I reread or... it after 10 years last year, huh? It is, I every time when I'm looking at uh, I'm not getting enough for early adopters, more. I go back to the book and see how do you really get the early adopters to come so in? So good. Remember Isn't you it, mentioned it, it,
1: 2007, it, early adopters, those guys? Yes, he mentions book. Yes, yes the exactly. Experience. So,
0: uh, In my area where I continue to innovate and push the envelope, uh, that uh, book always inspires me. Excellent. And what's the one sentence advice you
1: would give to anyone starting today in pharma, in healthcare? Keep trying.
0: Be at it. Just stay. Just don't give up. Don't give <laughs> there up. There Don't give up. Don't All give up. Way. Keep yeah. dreaming. Keep dreaming. Never give up. I love it. Keep dreaming.
1: And you guys definitely have realized your dream and it's day one, you continue to realize it. And where can people find you online? On uh, my LinkedIn. That's LinkedIn, my Thank you so much, Gaurav, uh, this has been great. I feel like we could talk for hours about these topics. Thank you for being the guest. Thank you so much.
0: This podcast was brought to you by EverMed, EverMed offers pharma companies the fastest path to having their own Netflix-like on-demand video engagement hubs for doctors or patients. Make sure to search for Pharma Launch Secrets in Apple Podcasts or Spotify and click on the follow icon so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at EverMed, thanks for listening.